Hey everybody, what's going on? It's your boy Sean Stone here. Uh, This is my first podcast, and this is a brand new podcast. Uh, This is Season 1, Episode 1, The Real Sean Stone. So I wanted to give everybody a little bit of history uh, that is my history. Um, I grew up in Colorado, um, in the suburbs, living more or less a middle-class lifestyle. Um, My parents were you know, at the time of my childhood, very conservative, my dad being an incredibly strict person, Um, my mother, you know, sort of following his lead, and then less so with, um, you know, the the other siblings, each sibling that went down, you know, it got a little less strict. My parents had, you know, a rocky marriage, I would say from the start. Um, I don't want to get too much into it. But you know, essentially, they got divorced when I was 17. um, And you know, there was a, (laughs) it it was one of the best things that probably could have happened and probably should have happened sooner. Um, But it did come with, you know, ups and downs, that sort of thing. Um, I don't want to go too much into, you know, personal details, that kind of thing. Um, I do want to talk about, you know, I moved to New York City when I was 19 years old. Um, You know, I grew up playing music, my grandfather gave me a four string folk guitar, you know, uh, more or less gave it to my brother, um, and my, my younger brother went right below me, uh, you know, but I, I played it and I, I just have, you know, the fondest memories of, you know, playing that guitar and <laughs> him teaching me old McDonald, you know, he had the, he had the, he would basically just tune it like the bottom four strings of a six string, <laughs> even though that's not technically how you're supposed to tune a four string folk guitar, you know, the Kingston trio. I don't remember the exact tuning setup, but it was, it was a little different than that. But I grew up, you know, loving music, loving it. And, you know, again, my grandfather was such a hero of mine. You know, he died uh, in 2018 in December, but what a guy. (laughs) Um, But, you know, anyways, the uh, so I I grew up playing music, you know, I but I was also very into sports from a very young age. I remember being in second grade and my two biggest dreams were to. Um, take over for Jim Davis as the, uh, I guess, the artist of Garfield comic. Um, loved Garfield growing up, had had it everywhere. I had all the collectibles. It was just my thing. I related so much to that show and just always felt such a sentimental um, love for that show. Um, my second dream simultaneously was to be a professional football player or basketball player. I wanted to go to... Um, uh, North Carolina University. I don't remember what I think it's UNC. Uh, I can't remember the name of the school, but um, you know, I wanted to play for the Tar Heels <laughs> because that was the team that that Michael Jordan played for. So, you know, I was very into sports, very active kid, always outside. Um, so, you know, I I grew up, and then it, at thirteen, you know, I got severely injured. You know, I had multiple concussions playing, you know, se- you know, several different sports over the years, that kind of thing. Um, but my, I had a really bad, you know, minor tears, but it was two tears in the same knee in my left knee from playing linebacker in football, um, you know, segueing into my sort of depression. And, you know, I, I became really ill at 13. Um, it, you know, I think a lot of it was, you know, um, you know, I, I, I do suffer, uh, from OCD. Um, but you know, it was, it was really, really bad. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, I mean, maybe I'll save those details for a later podcast, but I'm trying to lead into the fact that I, I really went into music as my passion. Um, you know, of course, guitar. So I got my first, my first six string guitar. It was a white um, body, black, you know, pick guard Dean <laughs> playmate guitar. So it's, uh, it's, you know, I still have it. Um, it's a, it's a, a relic to me, but <laughs> it still plays and probably needs a, you know, intonation and setup. But, um, it's, uh, so I, I, I got really, really fucking serious about music at 13. And, you know, I just, that's all I started doing. I gave up sports and, you know, music became my life, you know, and I, and I spent my teenage years growing my hair out as long as I could get away with between my school and my dad. And, and then, you know, wearing tie dye shirts, watching Woodstock, (laughs) you know, the, the DVD from the 69 festival, um, you know, just, just loving, you know, folk music. Bob Dylan was probably my favorite artist, loving 60s, 70s music, singer, songwriter, you know, just the classic. I mean, that was, in in my opinion, the, the best time in music. Um, and just got really, really into that shit. All my friends were listening to, you know, the, the, the punk, you know, the Blink-182, um, you know, some of the hip-hop. I, I sort of didn't care for it. What was weird was when I was 12, I loved hip-hop, but I wasn't allowed to listen to it. But when I turned 13, I kind of turned away from modern music for a a period of time. Venturing into high school, you know, I didn't really have a lot of social um, skills. I mean, I was isolating myself playing music for four plus hours a day after school every day and then more on the weekends, you know. Um, And so needless to say, my dream was to be a famous singer songwriter. Moved to New York City at 19. My decision was between, you know, the L.A. scene which seemed to me, you know, at the time to be, I mean, we're talking, <laughs> you know, 2007, uh, you know, it, it seemed to be more or less a rock band kind of scene. Whereas New York, you know, if I remember it, you know, it had sort of had a lot of the East Coast artists, you know, uh, Train came to mind, you know, I, I, I can't remember if Matchbox 20 was came out of New York or what, but I mean, there was a lot of those, you know, but in high school, I, you know, I had sort of ventured into more modern music. You know, I got really into, you know, I guess acoustic singer-songwriter pop. You know, John Mayer, obviously, a little bit of Jason Mraz, all that stuff. Moved to New York City at 19. You know, I set my sights on it. I had no fucking money. None. <laughs> I was, you know, I had no job. All I had was a $1,500 sublet for one month that got arranged from a friend of mine's friend. And that friend was an older couple who was already sort of established in New York City and they were going to Europe to travel. So I didn't know them. I didn't know the city. I got there. You know, I remember the plane getting there and just thinking, wow, (laughs) so excited. This is such an adventure. And I was told that the neighborhood, it was the Lower East Side. You know, it was Delancey Street, and uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there, and I'm, I'm told before I get there that this is a hip happening neighborhood. I pull up, and I realize that it's just like <laughs> there's fucking graffiti all over. You know, some of the closed up shops how they have those like metal gates. I was like, what the fuck is this? It was just dirty. I remember trash in the street. You know, there's like crappy Asian restaurants. Uh, you know, it was, it was Alphabet City. You know, or it is Alphabet City, and. But I was just exhilarated. I was so fucking happy to be there. It was in August of 2007. I um, 
you know, I, I moved there and <laughs> I just had, it was the most exhilarating time, you know, in terms of being a young man, you know, and, you know, so I, I immediately got aggressive about obviously looking, getting a job. I got a really shitty job at like this tiny restaurant. It was called Nolita House. It closed several years ago. Um, but, you know, they I was getting paid nine bucks an hour in cash, which I mean, and only working five days a week for maybe four or five hours a day. I've never, ever been big on extremely long work days. I've had jobs where that's been the case, but, you know, I didn't really... Um, but I wasn't making shit is the point, you know, I was making $9 an hour before with, you know, cash. So I was pulling maybe 200, sometimes 300 a week. If I was really lucky, I was living on bread, um, from Whole Foods, you know, I'd go to Whole Foods. I'd try to find like more or less a healthy bread and eggs pretty much. I mean, that, that was what I lived on and the apartment was dope. It was a studio, and it was, uh, you know, they like brick on the wall. And I remember just staying up every night, all fucking night, you know, till four or five in the morning, just writing songs, you know, trying to get, look at shows, look at joining bands, all of these things. It was, like I said, it was an exhilarating time for me. Very, very fucking scary. Like I said, I had prepaid for a $1,500 a month apartment and I had $500 in a checking account, you know, getting there. So I had fucking nothing. And I didn't get a job, that, that shitty job, until like two weeks I was already in there. So, you know, I'm, I'm sitting out late. I'm exploring the city. I would come home and write all this music. But, I'm you know, I'm hitting Union Square. I'm taking the train. I'm, you know, going to the gym, all this stuff. And so, anyways, I met a lot of random people. You know, you, at the time, I mean, I don't know if that's probably still the case to some degree before Corona. Um, but, you know, you would hang out in Union Square, just sit on the steps and watch people. Sometimes people would talk to you. Sometimes you would talk to people, whatever. And I remember, you know, I took the train home. Uh, I did talk to a lot of people, but what was weird was I took the train home and, and I think I was, you know, I always had my guitar with me, um, you know, my electric and I had this case, you know, whatever I'd, I'd carry it around and I wasn't like busking or anything, but I was just, you know, bringing it out, looking for experiences, looking to meet people, particularly in music, that kind of thing. Um, so I don't want to drag this out too much because I feel like this is a lot of detail I could talk about later. Um, I'm going to actually skip forward a little bit, you know. Um, to, to summarize, you know, sort of my New York experience, I had six apartments, <laughs> uh, you know, to the point where one of those apartments was a weekend. My boss was out of town and let me crash his apartment that was in, um, I guess Soho. And <laughs> so, you know, I, I mean, it was crazy. I ended up moving to Harlem for two weeks with this Australian lady. Um, that apartment sort of was, I think it was like 800, every two weeks, something like that. It wasn't fucking cheap. And I just wasn't making that much fucking money. So then I found this ad on Craigslist. I don't think they do this anymore, but it was basically to move to um, the Washington Heights area area, and you paid 125 a week rent. So I was surviving. I ended up getting my first apartment, um, you know, was, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll just give a quick story. I mean, it was with this, her name was Candy. And I swear to God, she had eight fucking kids. They had like a three bedroom obviously section eight rent subsidized apartment. And she just had a spare bedroom that was fucking tiny. I mean, it was like a closet. Um, but I didn't care, you know, I just needed somewhere to sleep so I could get up and do shows and practice and go work. So anyways, um, yeah, it was, it, that only lasted, I think maybe four days. I remember them just playing bachata music in the morning. And I, again, I'm staying up till four or five in the morning. And then, you know, <laughs> 
I would wake up to bachata in the apartment, but then somebody else outside blaring because it was weekend, you know, I moved in there and somebody outside in a different unit was blaring a different bachata song. So it was just blaring bachata, you know, just that kind of shit. And it was, um, it was, you know, it was humorous to look back, but it was fucking exhausting. And again, she had like eight kids. I mean, I think the oldest was probably like older than me by a year or two. And anyway, so she ended up kicking me out of that unit. She said that her sister needed to move in. Um, and I think it just was not a good energy mesh, you know, mutually. But anyway, so I ended up moving in with this other guy, um, you know, who was real cool. You know, I had some other weird experiences, like trying to sift through different uh, apartments. But I moved in with this one guy who, you know, literally, I mean, it's the fucking hood at the time. I mean, it's gentrified now, Washington Heights. But, you know, I was on, let's see, St. Nick. And, you know, like one, I want to say 177, if I remember. Um, so, I mean, yeah, and you would hit the further east you would go, like to Audubon, I think was the name of that avenue. If I can remember, I, for some reason, I'm blanking. But, um, you know, it was just more and more fucking ghetto. But we had drug dealers outside of our building. <laughs> you know, I was, the point is, is that I was, you know, I, I, I mean, I was willing to do whatever the fuck it took to stay in New York City, to, you know, get established and get my fucking music going. I mean, that that was really what it was about. Um, fast forward a couple of years, you know, I was kind of working the restaurant bullshit. I hated it. But, you know, you meet interesting people and you learn some shit, whatever. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm working and I ended up picking up a client uh, for guitar lessons on the Upper East Side from a client I had had in Colorado when I was there. And so that ended up growing, you know, I just realized that I wanted to do that, you know, more or less as my job, um, and kind of get out of the restaurant business. So it took, you know, several years. Uh, but you know, I, I was able to get to a point where I, you know, I went from one client to three to 10, you know, over the course of a couple of years to my max was like 23, you know, and these, it was crazy because I was getting clients that, you know, it was all referral based, but the, you know, these are elite people, you know, these are people that are, <laughs> they're, they're one percenters to say the least, you know, I've had a few billionaires, um, very well established names, you know, I worked with the Rockefeller family, uh, for about six months. I mean, she was a little older, but yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, I don't want to get too much into people's details, but it was definitely, um, it's been really cool. I've had great, great clients over the years. Um, and you know, so anyways, I, I, I've loved teaching. I still teach as of now. Um, you know, but you know, I've always wanted to start my own business too. I remember even, you know, being in, you know, <laughs> middle school or uh, sorry, high school, maybe 15. And I remember setting a goal that I wanted to have a net worth of $3 billion. And then, you know, and that, that, that would not, that would be basically a business net worth that wouldn't include like personal assets, like homes and that kind of thing. Um, and then have a business that's generating $750 million a year. Now, you know, I didn't really know what that meant at the time, but I could see that being possibly revenue or something, you know, or, or, or for that matter, even, you know, <laughs> profits. I mean, that's, that's, it's definitely doable in today's, you know, inflated world. But, um, so yeah, I mean, I, it's always been a vision of mine, you know, I, every day, you know, I always saw myself as this super successful artist, you know, and then this billionaire, you know, and, 
it was a big goal. You know, I was listening to Tony Robbins. I remember, you know, I had this, my guitar instructor when I was a teenager, you know, at 14, 15, you know, this guy was the coolest motherfucker I'd ever met, you know? And he, he, uh, I mean, if it, I really owe the man a lot of credit for, you know, guiding me in sort of a rebellious fashion, but a constructive rebellion. You know, it was, it was really about self-improvement, using self-discipline to not only master your instrument, but also get your life together. You know, he turned me on to the Tony Robbins stuff. You know, we were learning a lot of, you know, Mac, Apple computer software, you know, uh, Adobe products and such. You know, he this guy was just sort of, I, I don't really know, but I just remember me and a buddy would spend hours <laughs> every single day in the summer. I mean, we'd be there from, you know, eight, nine in the morning till fucking midnight, you know, um, and I don't know why this guy liked having us around. We were a bunch of fucking losers in high school. Um, but it was cool, you know. We got to hang out with his friends and shit, you know. And we would eat all his fucking food. And I remember his wife would get really mad. But we were just chilling in his basement. And he had all this, you know, he had Logic and a really powerful Mac. And, you know, he had a good studio set up and whatever. We learned a lot of shit. It was cool. And we really got, you know, it gave me a chance to get out of sort of suffering in my... <laughs> particularly from my dad, you know, as a kid. So anyways, you're, you're, you're going to fast forward a little bit. You know, I want to get back to, you know, being in New York City. Um, you know, I, I, one of my uh, students' dads, it turned out, was in the music industry. I'm 24 years old, if I remember. Um, and, you know, I'm teaching his son. You know, he, was, he had a Grammy. You know, this guy, he was a producer for uh, Def Jam. So it was a cool, you know, opportunity. I wasn't going to you know, impose or anything, but his wife actually had sort of set up a meeting. So I go to uh, Universal Music Group's office, and I believe that's on or was on 44th Street. I think it still is. I'm not sure. Um, you know, in Manhattan, it's on the west side. Um, so we're talking Midtown. You know, I go up to this big office. I go to Def Jam, and it was kind of surreal because you're walking in. Again, I, I don't remember. I'm trying to remember what year this was. Um, let me think. Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. The, the point is, is, you know, I'm 24 years old. Um, and so I'm walking into Def Jam, you know, and <laughs> there's nothing but like empty desks and turned off lights. And then there's like every, I don't know, they probably had at least 60, if not closer to 100 desks, you know, and like maybe five of them were actually people working and had lights on it was really strange and then you have all these back offices with these great views one of which was this a and r director producer uh so yeah i mean so i'm sitting there and you know i'm showing we're talking a little about music he's saying hey you know thanks for working with my son you know he's a really nice guy he's a family guy and um you know so he's like yeah, i play one of my songs which was you know moving on and you know and and it was it was cool it was a piece I'd written when I first moved to New York and it's just a you know real simple progression and all that and I'm playing in this and he's listening he's like yeah I like it man and, you know you saw right now I was like yeah you know he's like I think you need to work on your hooks a little bit which I always kind of felt that anyways you know that I mean I'm, I'm a I would say a, a pretty good singer I'm not the best singer ever um but I definitely have a really you know I would say masculine vocal you know and, and can carry my own especially when I've got a guitar in my hands um, but yeah, I mean, you know, so I'm playing this song and he's, he's, you know, he liked it. I played a few other little things I'd written. I'd written this one song about like a model that killed herself. And it was sort of about how you can have everything, but you know, 
whatever. I mean, I don't really remember, but it was, it was a cool song. I wish I had it on my phone or something, but anyways, uh, so yeah, I, you know, basically, you know, and then, so he's like, I think you need to work on your hooks. And then he shows me, you know, the, um, billboard, you know, slash like actual sales. I think this is probably more or less data that was available to record companies, record execs, that kind of thing. And, you know, Eminem, Lady Gaga was really big at the time, you know, all these people. And I'm looking at their album sales and they were dismal. You know, we're talking about like Eminem selling like just over like, you know, I think it was a couple, maybe it was like a mil and a half. I don't remember. Um, and I want to say it was relapse. And then you had Lady Gaga, you know, she had quite a few. But, you know, I was when I was eager to get into the industry, you know, I was, you know, looking at Justin Timberlake and seeing 15 million fucking album sales you know i mean that's that that's like that was the more or less the peak the pinnacle you know so i i went home and i realized like because you know i i like to play music in terms of perform but my real passion was always the you know the singer songwriter shit which i you know obviously touring would be a, an element but i i realized that i you know and i'd been reading articles i remember this i think it was bear claw was this brooklyn band and I, I remember reading an article where they were saying, you know, we're at the peak of our careers, you know, we're the top underground artist, you know, we're touring all over the country. And, you know, we're basically all living in the same fucking apartments <laughs> that we were when we started, you know, I guess I, I took that to mean they just weren't making very much fucking money. And, you know, so I, I was like, man, you know, and, you know, he had even talked to me too. He's like, you know, you're going to have to tour, you know, that's where the money is now. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not against touring, but I just realized something inside of me just, you know, I was like, man, you know, I just don't know that there's much of a future in this industry. You know, and it was sort of weird because I ended up working for this other family, um, sort of as their like weekend butler. <laughs> um, and, it, you know, it sort of coincided with that. And it was just so strange because, you know, I mean, he sort of confirmed it too, because he was a former record label manager too, you know, for a big one. And, uh, I think it was damn BMG in like the nineties or something like that. But, uh, anyway, so yeah, I mean, again, I've been blessed in the sense that I've been able to get somehow attract mentors, you know, people that are well off, especially when you're in New York city, you know, I just somehow got in with the right people and got cool connections and I probably subconsciously attracted it. I don't know, but, um, that that's my thought on it. But anyway, so, you know, I, I, had made the decision, Hey, you know, I just don't know if there's really much of a future in music, sadly. And, um, you know, I love music so much. It's been my whole life since I was, you know, 13. And, and in some cases, even before that, but really serious at 13. And, you know, I was just so determined, but I was like, you know, I just, it took me months and it was sort of a despair kind of feeling, but I just couldn't lie to myself and be like, do I love it enough to do it for free? You know? And it turned out that I was right you know, obviously the music industry has just gotten worse and worse over the years. I, I mean, I, I felt bad for my students because I just, they don't have music to grow up on. It's all bullshit, you know, and it's sad, but, uh, you know, so I'll have artists that'll, you know, or excuse me, students that are just talking about, Hey, you know, love, um, the Beatles or, you know, some older band, you know, I've had five-year-olds asked to learn Led Zeppelin and I'm not even suggesting it, you know, that, it's, it's, it's crazy, you know, and I think a lot of that probably comes from their parents, but I didn't want to learn Led Zeppelin when I was fucking 10. Well, to some degree, but you know, it, it wasn't the coolest thing, you know, I guess if you were younger. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so I, I basically made the decision that I was not going to pursue my artistry, um, that I was going to do it more or less as a hobby. 
um, you know, but still write songs and that kind of thing. And, you know, I've played over the years. I've done little small, I guess, regional performances. Maybe you could argue tours, you know, Arizona. You know, I've played guitar for friends over the years, you know, in terms of backing female singers, whatever, you know, and I still write songs, you know, when I feel like it. Um, but, you know, so I, I, I was in, you know, I had this full-time teaching thing that I had developed over a course of, you know, I want to say maybe six years. And then, um, and then, you know, I still do it. Uh, and you know, it was, it was really cool. And, um, but I also wanted to make a lot of money. So, you know, the goal is to essentially be a billionaire. Um, so, you know, I tried, uh, you know, I, when I was in Colorado before I left, you know, I had had some clients, I had transferred to some, some friends, you know, I, I was sort of going through school with, but they went to separate schools, uh, you know, other, other musicians, you know, and, um, it just didn't really work out, you know, over time. I mean, obviously people, I feel like my success in teaching has been predominantly mostly my personality, you know, and also the connection I've been able to foster with students. Um, so anyway, so I moved to New York city, you know, I, I'm, you know, working the restaurants, playing shows, staying out to four in the morning, get myself to, you know, a, a great place in terms of being with well-connected people, you know, um, having a great clientele, that kind of thing. And then, um, you know, and then obviously meeting this A&R guy and then coming to the decision that, Hey, you know, I just don't know if this is worth all of my focus, you know? And so I, at this point, you know, I, I'm starting to look into other business ideas. You know, I had a friend that, that I grew up with who we were looking at doing an independent, um, radio station for, you know, local artists, that kind of thing. Um, but neither of us really knew how to code. I mean, he had some idea, you know, his dad was a professional programmer. Um, and so he had some idea, but we just didn't know what the fuck we were doing. And also, you know, it, it just probably was not the best business partnership, even though we had been like childhood friends, you know, it just was not gonna really pan out the way it should have. And so we ended up stopping that after I would say like a year of sort of coming up with ideas. Um, and then I had, you know, I had a lot of other different ideas. Um, I ended up deciding to do a lingerie business, um, a luxury lingerie business, a business. And it was really just this dream of, you know, I've always been attracted to just absolutely gorgeous women, you know, model fucking hot women. And, um, it's always been a, you know, a fascination. I remember in high school reading, you know, pickup books and that kind of thing. And, you know, uh, <laughs> I mean, before pickup was a huge, huge deal, you know, before the mystery and all that stuff. Um, it was, uh, you know, David D'Angelo, I think was at the time. I never really got into his stuff too much, but there was this other guy like Marius Panzarella, you know, I mean, I'm, I don't even think these things are in business anymore, but it gave, it gave me some ideas about women, you know, and I always wanted to just sleep with a lot of really gorgeous chicks. Um, so, so the lingerie, you know, thing, I'm single, I'm playing the field. I wasn't dating that much because um, I was just spending so, so much time on my goals, but, you know, I'd fuck around and it was fun. You know, it, it was a great time. And, but it was also frustrating, you know, you get girls with, you know, I had a few girlfriends and whatever. I mean, I, overall, I would say, you know, I've enjoyed relationships, but I've also, you know, dabbled, you know, in a lot of different things. Um, so it's, it's been cool. And anyway, so I had this big dream of just basically fucking hot models. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's always been a dream of mine, you know? And anyway, so I'm, I, I started this Andre business sort of as I, I want to make a lot of money, but I also want to live this lifestyle. So I, you know, I went about 
researching how to, you know, make lingerie, um, I had some samples made, you know, I, I ventured through the fashion district, all these other things. I mean, I took it really, really fucking seriously. And I had this great idea. Um, my idea was basically, uh, satin lingerie, high-waisted 90s style satin lingerie with like, you know, little, uh, little pieces attached to it in, you know, in, in the bra being more or less a soft cup or balconette style. Um, kind of a weird thing, but you know, I got into it, you know, I, I literally like learned a little bit about sewing. I had the samples made and I ended up getting into trading, um, stocks and shit just sort of by accident. You know, I, I started just looking into it and thought, holy shit, what am I doing with this lingerie company? You know, I could be making millions potentially billions if i become good enough at trading so i went on i i sort of i don't know if i lost interest i just didn't see it as big of a business opportunity and again you know i realized that this you know was sort of a pattern that was developing where i would give up on ideas and not a great pattern but you know it's just how it played out i ended up getting into trading and uh yeah i mean <laughs> I, how, how do I put this? I spent three years and $30,000 that I was not really making a lot of and fucking lost it. I just couldn't, I lost it all over three years, you know, and it was, I was just putting everything I was making with my teaching business into trading and it was just getting killed. I tried all kinds of things, stocks, futures, commodities, you know, um, Forex. I just, I think what happened was, is I'm, I, I, I really got a good education in, more or less the gambling nature of short-term, you know, almost, I couldn't even call it swing trading. I was doing day trading. And, you know, I was also in it in a time where, you know, the algorithms were very well established. But I think, you know, I, I'm, it, it showed me a little part of my character that, you know, I am just a contrarian. I go against the grain. And when you're trading, you cannot go against the grain. It's a bad fucking idea you're just going to lose your ass, which is what happened. And, but there was also a lot of shit, you know, I had great trades and stuff and I, and I, and I was right, you know, about the macroeconomics or, you know, even the microeconomics of it. And, and then it would just get fucking, it would, you know, algorithms and things, or my timing was too early where I would just get killed on my position. Cause I was in leveraged positions trying to make a million bucks in a day. And, you know, but my positions would be right. Like I, I, one of my big trades was I, I bought a bunch of puts in JCPenney. I was sure they were going to go bankrupt. And that was back, you know, when Ackman had a bunch of shares and stake in it. And I remember watching it, you know, I had bought like, I want to say it was a six month output from where, wherever I was. And I, the stock just went down and had a, it was essentially a short squeeze. It went down and then it just shot up and I lost I, I wouldn't have gotten kicked out of the position because it was a put I was holding, but I, you know, essentially um, was too early and I just was like, you know what, I better take my money out. Big fucking mistake because that actually expired below the strike price and I would have made a lot of fucking money. I was right and I didn't stand by my convictions. Big, big lesson. Um you know, but anyway, so I, I, I tried trading, but what was cool about trading, even though I lost a lot of fucking money, was I learned a lot about how money works, how the world works. I was reading books on Goldman Sachs. I was reading, you know, full on, you know, 
30 hour audio books I was listening to in some cases, you know, um, I remember listening to the house or, uh, what was it? The house of Morgan. Um, again, the golden Sachs book. I was listening to market wizards, all these things. I learned a lot of shit about finance. I learned the fundamentals, you know, I, I became financially literate and I became, you know, aware of how fractional reserve banking and the debt system works. And, you know, it, it was it was just fascinating to me you know i just it was really just more or less an interest more than anything else a passion almost and so anyway so i you know i lost a bunch of fucking money and i went into depression and i was just like shit what the fuck am i going to do so i started a uh i i i decided what i wanted to do was more or less a chat type website you know webcam kind of thing but um you know, I, I, I started, I just was like, you know what, shit, I don't have money to pay somebody to do this. You know, my buddy who we, I was going to do that project with initially ended up, you know, kind of working for his dad's company and got really good at coding. And I had him like, I'm like, how much do you think this would fucking cost me to build this shit? And he's like, honestly, bro, uh, <laughs> you know, like maybe 200 grand. I was like, yeah, well, don't got that. So I, I set out to start building it myself. And, you know, the first thing I started doing was developing the payment software for it. And, um, you know, it, it's been a journey where I never even have gotten to the webcam, you know, and I don't know if I will. I've had some life changing things happen that have shifted my perspective, um, you know, in terms of what's important to me, especially like right now in my life. Um, and, you know, I want to get into that stuff in the upcoming episodes. But I do want to kind of segue into some shorter sections um, as we complete this this podcast here. So I've given you a, a good deal of, of my history, you know, a little bit about me, my work and life experience, where I'm at, you know, to some degree right now. And I want to talk about why I'm starting this podcast. So, you know, in that webcam business, um, idea. Cause again, I never even, I haven't even really built much of it. I built the payment software and you know, um, this payment software, I'm going to be sort of cryptic about, um, because it's not ready for release. You know, I'm three and a half years into this project. Um, but I, you know, I'm coming more and more to the conclusion that maybe there's a market for this. And I'll talk more about that in, in future episodes, you know, about why I started it you know, um, all of those kind of things, you know, there, there was a lot of frustration, you know, as a, as someone who, you know, needs to operate in the financial world, right. But who also believes in, you know, <laughs> freedom. <laughs> so anyways, I, you know, I, I've, I'm going to talk more about that, but that is one reason why I'm starting this podcast. I'm going to be perfectly honest with my listeners. I really, really am going to plug this payment software because I think it's something that people can use and it's going to be great for your life. But I also don't want to be a commercial every every episode I do, you know. I it, but it, I I'm going to be upfront. That is a reason why I'm starting this podcast. Um, the second reason why I'm starting this podcast is because I think we're kind of in an interesting time, and I think this correlates to where we are um, as a society and as a world. Uh, and, and, and as a society, I'm speaking predominantly from a Western perspective, a U.S. perspective. Um, but I mean, I mean, there's not much of a difference between the United States and Canada and New Zealand and for that matter, Britain or Australia 
or, you know, the Western powers. To some degree, I mean, Mexico, maybe not culturally, but certainly, you know, um, geopolitically. So this podcast is really going to be about all of my interests, things I've been thinking about, you know, my whole life, you know, my, my, my world view, the perspective I want to bring out to people that may, you know, already know a lot of this, you may know more than I do. But I would bet that there are a lot of people out there that don't know much of or any of what I'm going to talk about. Um, So I want to bring these things in because, you know, my world overview right now is that the West is in decline. And, and, you know, that might seem obvious to a lot of people, but, you know, to a lot of other people out there, I mean, I think, I think Americans and the West have had it so good for so long that people have just become complacent and they're asleep and they don't know what's going on. But, you know, I've, I've almost gotten to a level of paranoia about it, you know, over the years, because I, you know, again, going back to the OCD and these other things, you know, I, I'm just one of these people that when I think about something, I, I kind of obsess about it, you know, to the point where I'm researching it diligently. You know, I think I probably got it from my dad's dad, you know, my grandfather, you know, he was just, he was such an astute guy. I remember him writing articles on cancer, you know, he almost became a doctor, was in the military his whole life. You know, the guy was extremely bright and, you know, literally almost completed medical school. And then they just wouldn't let him become a doctor because he was too fucking old. And I mean, that sounds a little weird to me. You know, I mean, I I wonder if there's more to that story, but that's my understanding of it. You know, and I remember I have an article that he had written on, you know, cancer and that kind of thing. So anyway, so my point is, is he was always researching things, always looking into, you know, my dad has said that he was part of the John Birch Society, you know, uh, (laughs) what a lot of people would term conspiracy theories. But I mean, are these things even conspiracy theories anymore? You know, it seems like all of these things, and I don't want to get into the whole, you know, Illuminati and all that stuff. To me, I mean, I think there's some element of truth to it, but I think it's a lot more, um, how do you put it, real? Uh, I, I, I don't think it's just this, you know reptilian race of people that have created all this stuff. I mean, it's, it's just silly. What I think is going on is I think there are people that have a lot of money and are trying to consolidate power, uh, you know, to essentially expand the empire, you know, for their own interests as the head of that empire. So to that degree, I think that stuff is legitimate. Um, but I don't want to go too much into the conspiracy element. I, I want to talk about, you know, what's going on today and what's been building up over the last 20 years at least if not more i mean we're you know fractional reserve banking the federal reserve 1913 you know this has all been sort of a, 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 a how do you put it it's it's a rothschild invention you know it, it's the central banking system the debt-based financial system and you know the u.s caved on it in 1913 you know, we'll talk more about that stuff in, in later episodes. But I, you know, again, this is, I think we're at a, at a point now where we've had this central banking model, you know, starting in England and Europe, and then sort of working its way in the United States for about 300 years, I think, um, more or less, you know, and I think what's happening is I think that we're seeing entropy, I think that it's collapsing. I think we are seeing, you know, essentially, society 
this graph looking like this. The United States used to have a lot of economic prosperity and, you know, in parallel with that was a lot of um, freedom, personal liberty and freedom. And, 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 and we also had, you know, we've had a fairly big government for a lot of years, you know, but it, it's, it's gotten to the point now where government is a behemoth, you know, and it is what it is. Um, but the, all that being said, you know, I think that the, the system is weak and we have this very top heavy centralized economy, centralized government where it's a corporatocracy, you know, and we are heading into, I think, an era where it's going to erode, but a lot of people are going to suffer, unfortunately, you know, because so many things are tied to this behemoth. And uh, so that, that's that's things I want to talk about in coming episodes. Um, I'll, other things I want to address in upcoming episodes are, you know, <clears throat> the the need for autonomy and fighting back against collectivism and groupthink, you know, that seems to just be so pervasive, so prevalent in society today, where, you know, you are shamed for not going along with the narrative. And that could be, you know, it's social, it's social, you know, we've got feminism, this new wave feminism shit, we've got, you know, um, you know, a lot of the, the xenophobia, all that stuff. I mean, it's really a Soros manufactured idea. It's about creating division and, and essentially, you know, divide and conquer, right? Um, but I want to get into that stuff a lot. But I, I, you know, a lot of this is about me being honest with you, the listener, about um, my real thoughts on things. And also, you know, like I said, I do have something... That I think some people, maybe not everybody, could potentially use, and I hope to release it. Um, and I, I and I also just have a lot of interesting ideas that I would like to share with my listeners. Um, so my hopeful promise, because promises are, <laughs> um, you know, a very a very strong thing. But my hopeful promise, meaning I'm not, you know, I'm tentatively promising it to you, um, is that I I want to you know keep these ideas as raw, unfiltered content. And I want to center it around business, um, you know, socioeconomics, geopolitics. I want to talk about markets, you know, libertarianism, um, anarcho-capitalism. And I want to throw in some shit about sex too. Thanks for listening. Uh, I hope to see you in future podcasts.